Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this show on Friday, January 15th, 2020. Brand new year, Drew. Been a couple of years since we last recorded the show. Did you want to tell the class what you just spent the past week doing? Well, I we were supposed to record last Friday, mm-hmm. and then we sort of hatched this plan because the COVID numbers in California are soaring, and... The airports are not a great place to be, so we decided to drive across country from from Connecticut to California, which is a good 3,000 miles. And so we got in late on Tuesday night, and I've just been running around trying to catch up with stuff since. So, um, yeah, but I'm I'm happy to be here. Well, I'm just kind of stunned. I mean, Nancy and I do the 1,000-mile-plus drive from New Hampshire down to Orlando, every year or so but three thousand miles in january yes in a car loaded with stuff you hold out of your childhood bedroom right yes correct yes okay along with your wife and your dog and and nobody got stabbed nobody got left by the side no everybody everybody was good and you know the dog was was had a little help from dr feelgood but she was she was great and yeah, I mean, it, it it was pretty crazy. And then you get into like, you know, Utah and it's just this craggy kind of like, like if the car broke down, who would come get us? <laughs> who would find us? Uh, and wh- what would be left of us when they oh. found us? These are the questions I'm asking myself, Jim. Okay. Okay. What was the longest travel day? I think the longest travel day was the last day, which mm-hmm. was Denver to Los Angeles. Oh, that was, I think, 15 hours, uh, give or take. Cow. So, yeah, that was a long one. And, you know, it, it's weird because you think like, oh, Las Vegas, you'll be mm. able to stop and get something or mm. do something. And it's just it was really weird. The whole thing was very weird. Uh, Las Vegas was even sort of creepier during COVID. So, yeah, I mean, I was just thankful to not have to have McDonald's for lunch when I got back. <laughs> and oh. um so, yeah, it was, it was an adventure, Jim. You know, I felt oh. like you since you drive all the time. 3,000 miles. I did that as a 10-year-old in a backseat. I did not do it driving. Right. So, holy cow. And there was a di- there's a difference between kind of like planning cute visits and stuff yeah. and just trying to haul ass back home so we can start working again and stuff. Because we had been in... Connecticut for over a month at that point. Um, So I was recording episodes of this show from Mm -hmm. the closet of my childhood bedroom. I mean, I know you were sort of thinning the herd, so to speak, but what made the cut to come back to L.A. in the car? A lot of animation-related books. John Canemaker's um, Paper Dreams and a bunch of art of books, including the original art of... Toy Story and Art of the Lion King from 94 and 95, which are still beautiful books. And it meant a lot to me as a kid. And it's kind of funny, too, because it's like, wow, I had the original Pixar making up book. And then I got to write uh, a Pixar making up book this year. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it all cool. it was nice. It kind of, yeah, felt full circle. So, yeah. Wow. Very cool. Okay. Yeah. Glad to have you back. Glad you made the trip safe. I have to admit, you know, when you said that you were going to do this in January, I was just sweating that you were going to hit weather, but did you get anything during the run? No, no, it was it was clear and incredibly cold. Mm-hmm. It was sort of nice because I'd done the drive before in the summer, and it was mm-hmm. cool to see the kind of mountain, snowy mm-hmm. mountain peaks and, and whatnot. And just to tie this into Disney a little bit, I had to drive by the Denver 
library gym, mm. which was designed by one of our favorites. Uh, actually, I don't know how you feel about him, but one of my favorites, certainly, mm. uh, Michael Graves. Oh, yeah. So I took okay. some photos mm. there. You and Lynn have to do a kind of um, look at the aesthetic of the Eisner era at some point. Oh, that would be tough. Yeah. Speaking of graves, isn't there a, a building he designed? Or, or when I w- would make the drive down from L.A. to Comic-Con, I want to say just outside of San Diego, there's a graves building. Oh, is right there? there? Well, yeah. you know, the, one of our favorite graves buildings is, mm-hmm. you know, down the street from me, which is well, the... <laughs> there you know, go. Team Disney building, right? Um, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. But um, yeah, so you know, we tried to have fun here and there, but mm. it was a lot of a lot of driving, Chad. Okay, well, let's just jump back into it. Starting with the news, I know you're a fan of the Looney Tunes uh, reboot relaunch that HBO yes. Max uh, started last May. Evidently, we've got a set of ten new shorts in this series that are debuting on that streaming service on Thursday, January 21st. Ooh, Uh, that's good. It's the first time they've done a cartoon with Taz. Ooh. Uh, So I wonder if they got Jim Cummings back. He had been the voice of Taz for a while there. Speaking of animated series uh, that are streaming, uh, that are coming back, today, season three of Disenchantment, the Matt Groening show, is now available for streaming over on Netflix. Kind of the same thing uh, with Looney Tunes. We get 10 new episodes, which kick off with a show called The Subterranean Homesick Blues. And we've already gone through the first season, which I guess they got a deal initially for 20 episodes. They broke that into two groups of 10 episodes. And then, what was it just a couple of weeks after the first set aired that Netflix agreed to do an, another batch of 20, right? So Yeah, well, we never know what Netflix's strategy is because, you know, you and I will talk about some DreamWorks animated show which is on its, like, fifth season and it debuted 18 months ago. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, in fact, that's that's the thing. I'm, I'm a little puzzled by the release pattern because season one was August of 2018. Then I want to say season two was September of, of 2019, maybe? That sounds right, yeah. And now we have this bunch debuting in January of 2021. And supposedly, again, we have 10 more out there that will be released at some point, which are season four. Okay, if we haven't confused you enough at this <laughs> point, let's talk about Earwig and the Witch. I am like 30 minutes into... See, Jim, this is the problem with me. I'm doing this insane Studio mm-hmm. Ghibli ranking right mm-hmm. now. Okay. okay. So mm-hmm. this is this will be as in-depth as my, you know, Walt Disney Animation Studios list. But, wow. Okay. So I've, I've watched like 30 minutes of Earwig and the Witch. I think it's called Anya and the Witch Overseas. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it yet, but I'm very excited that it's having such a huge debut. Do you want to talk about that? So it's released to theaters on Wednesday, February 3rd. And I'm kind of intrigued here because it's both the subtitle and English dubbed version. And G Kids is doing this with their usual partner, Fathom Events. But isn't it typical for Fathom Events that they release these things on like Saturday, Sunday, and it's like Saturday is the English dub and then the Japanese original with the subtitles? Okay. But in this case, it's being released on a Wednesday, and then two days later, it goes live on HBO Max. It becomes available for streaming. 
Yeah, pretty exciting. I mean, we've talked about this before, but it was a it was a movie for Japanese television. Mm-hmm. Um uh, and it came out in December in Japan. So it, it does make sense that it'll be on home video so quickly or streaming, I should say. But, you know, that's where almost all the Studio Ghibli movies are. Mm-hmm. Not all of them, but most of them are on <laughs> HBO Max right now. And I think you're going to be able to choose in between the English or Japanese version on HBO Max, which is great. Okay. Now, not to put you on the spot here, because, again, you're in the middle, still in the middle of doing this ranking. But there was some controversy based on the trailers and that sort of thing about Earwig and the Witch, about the Studio Ghibli look being yeah. translated from 2D to CG. And all right, you've seen a half hour or so now. If yeah. you, you get time in that world and you get time in the actual film. How does it work? I think it works better than the trailer suggests, but mm. I understand people's kind of complaints about it not look like the lighting not looking finished and mm-hmm. And stuff like that. But the Ghibli style is very much there. I just wish it had sort of been more faithfully translated. Sort of like Lupin mm-hmm. uh, the third. Did you ever watch that one, Jim? I think it's on VOD now or Blu-ray. This is my weekend to catch up. So go, like okay. I said, we finish with this. I do uh, WandaVision. Wanda. And then tomorrow I find time to watch Lupin, which will make my daughter happy. And somewhere in there, there will be 10 episodes of Disenchantment. I'll have little square eyeballs, but I'll be caught up. Right. All right. Well, very much looking forward then to your Studio Ghibli ranking at Collider. But but again, you've done such nice stuff. And again, I, I can't figure out how you did this and packed up a house and driven around, around the know. country. It's a lot. Because we, we have to talk about at least two of your Collider stories over the past week. Everybody in the world read the exact same story that you did. The Was it the Hollywood Reporter interview with Pete Yes, Doctor? which is a great a great profile, I thought. I thought it was really, I, really well done, right? I agree. But you had your, your filters set up really high, and you were the one who picked up on, in the middle of this article, he revealed that Soul looks to be the last film he's directing for a while, right? Yeah. And you know what? I had heard this sort of before, mm-hmm. because you and I know that he has an in- inherently deep understanding of Walt Disney Animation Studios' mm-hmm. history, and... Mm-hmm. He just wrote or co-wrote an amazing book about Mark Davis. And oh, so, yeah. he, you know, yeah. he does he doesn't want to be one of the old white guys in the building who's mm-hmm. complaining to the New York Times about mm-hmm. the younger crop of animators at Pixar, mm-hmm. which is what the Nine Old Men did circa, yeah. you know, Black Cauldron. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he I think he kind of like wants to be out out of that sphere. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he said this, you know, he's the cre- chief creative officer now. And he said it, that job is not making films. It's guiding mm-hmm. other people. Mm-hmm. I was initially worried that it would be like a tax taking me away from what I really love, but it's been surprisingly rewarding. So we will see. I mean, he talks very openly in that article about, yeah, we're trying to get more original movies, but we're still going to have to do sequels. They haven't announced any of the movies that he has personally greenlit, which mm-hmm. is interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I'm just, I'm very curious. I really am excited about the Pixar 2.0. But to bring it back to Miyazaki, how many times has he retired, Jim, um, this and come is, back? This is a good point. But, right? but at the same time, it's just the idea that the guy, the director of Monsters, Inc., Up, Inside Out, and Soul is going to be 
behind a desk. Yeah. That's kind of tough from a personal, you know, he's made a lot of films I've really, really enjoyed. Yeah. I hopefully he'll be just be sprinkling that Pete Dr. Magic on even more productions, Jim. That's yeah, my Here's hoping. Here's hoping. <laughs> and, and talking about stuff that you've written for Collider that people really need to go check out. You actually broke some news today. Yeah. Uh, the flat version of Myth, A Frozen Tale, mm-hmm. which is a really cool VR short that Jeff Gibson directed Mm -hmm. with the help of the Walt Disney Animation Studio is coming to Disney Plus on February 26th. And Mm -hmm. I'm so excited. You haven't seen it yet, have you, Jim? I haven't. I haven't. Because, again, I needed the Oculus setup to do it. Right. All right. Well, we were just talking about Pixar stuff. So, and I I can't imagine that you actually found time to do this while this was on TikTok. But did you check out Ratatouille the Musical? No, I didn't. I mean, I've been fascinated by this whole thing since Mm. the first time I heard about it was on Carly Wiesel's podcast. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that she kind of helped this whole thing get going. But Mm. yeah, it sounds really cool. I think some of the songs are stupid, but I think the creativity is is there. And I love that. And I love Ratatouille. So give me a review, Jim. How was it? It was actually surprisingly entertaining. You're right. Not every song in it is a gem. But on the other hand, you had people like Titus Burgess as Remy and, and Wayne Knight as, as Django, Remy's dad, or, or Adam Lambert, Emil as Remy's brother. And they've really, they sold it. In fact, you know, honestly, one of my favorite numbers of the show is Gusto's song, Anyone Can Cook. And Kevin Chamberlain not only performed that, he wrote the song. Oh, wow. And it's worth it alone to see Andre DeShields play Anthony Ego. I mean, he just, he does such a great job with Ego. Oh, for that matter, Andrew Barthelman was, I mean, he looked like they had actually pulled Linguini out of the cartoon and put him on stage. I mean, the, the likeness was freaky good. But this was a fundraiser for the Actors Fund. And it, as it turns out, it was hugely successful. It's the largest fundraiser in the history of the Actors Fund. They raised a total of $2 million of the, over the course of these two performances. Over 350,000 people watched it online. And you will not see this, you know, coming from Disney Theatrical. They were they were very nice about sort of turning a blind eye to the whole enterprise because, again, right. it was raising money for the Actors Fund. But, but yeah, I, I, you know, this was a one-off. But as long as we're talking about Broadway-related folks, did you see what friend of the show, Josh Gad, tweeted out today? Uh, yes, I did. Um, he said, I will not confirm or deny that Patty LaPone is currently recording an episode of Central Park Season 2, nor will I confirm or deny that I'm currently sobbing with joy. <laughs> so I'm very happy that Patty LaPone is going to be on Central Park, and I'm just very happy that Central Park is being worked on right now because yeah, yeah. I love that show so no, much. It's, it's great fun. I mean, again, debuted on, on Apple Plus TV back on in May of last year. And uh, Central Park, for those of you who don't remember when Drew and I talked about earlier, it's a, a production of 20th Century Television, Brucey Entertainment, and of course, Bento Box, uh, the folks who do Lauren Bouchard's Bob's Burgers. and Right down the street from me is one of their offices on, on Lankerchen. <laughs> yeah. Right, which is in the same building that Disney Interactive used to be on. Is it really? years ago, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, you got a feel for the folks in that building right now because of course they... 
they experienced a great loss over the past week or so. Did you, did you see the the story about Dave Creek? Uh, yeah, the, I if that a very weird story, but yeah, um, I, very sad. Yeah, Dave died back on January 9th at following a skydiving accident. And this shook them hard at at Bento Box. They 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 posted on their Twitter feed that Dave was an extraordinary artist who's been with Bob Berger since day one. Creek's not only an incredible talent, but a beautiful person as well. And our hearts go out to his family, his friends, and all of his colleagues at the show who loved him and are grieving today. And you and I have talked about the Bob's Burgers movie for a while now, which, by the way, still is listed with an April 9th release date. All right. The day that pigs will fly, Jen. <laughs> all right. Oh, but it's just now I guess it's going to be kind of a bittersweet experience because from what I've been hearing... A lot of Mr. Cake's very best work is is in this film, which bumps out the cast and expands the look. Oh, uh, by the way, we talked on the last show, speaking of release dates, about how Boss Baby family business got pushed back from March. I know you were in mourning, Jim. <laughs> All the way back to some... I think there were parts of the original Boss Baby I like quite a bit. I mean, it has some, some really strong design, but got some info about this decision and evidently it did how crudes to the a new family i, I want to say a new age a new age did you ever watch it jim it's this weekend it's coming oh, God, this one this weekend I, you know if i hear this weekend again jim i, I mean come on I, I will i tell you what i'll reach out to you when i finish watching this okay. it may be three o'clock in the morning but i, I will watch these things but <laughs> So, got this from a friend at Universal. Okay, so this Dreams animation film, which cost $65 million to make, sold $37 million worth of tickets domestically in North American theaters, did $90 million overseas for a worldwide box office take of our $128 million, which, again, when you're spending $65 million to make and $25 million to promote, that's not great numbers. But they did okay streaming-wise, it hit streaming on, was it December 23rd or the 25th? Which, which? It was the 23rd, but okay. yeah, 25th is when everything else came out. Well, yeah. that's it exactly. That that supposedly, it just ran into the wall that was sold. And this very same film, this DreamWorks Animation Project, comes out on Blu-ray and DVD on February 23rd. And among the extra features on the thing is a short film to Gerald, which I think you were talking about. Yeah, did you watch that on Peacock? Yeah, I have to wrestle the television away from Nancy. Okay, I mean, well, when she... you do, we're working on on some more to Jared mm-hmm. Gerard uh, content, so mm-hmm. we can we can put a pin in that conversation. But it's a really great short. Okay, uh, it's on Peacock right now. Mm-hmm. It's up for the Best Animated Short Oscar this year. So check it out because you might be hearing more about it very soon. Very cool. Very cool. So anyway, again, I guess that was the thinking in regard to when they were running the numbers and just looking at Boss Baby Family Business. And it was just the notion of, would it be smarter to move this thing to a safer harbor? That especially with the issues they're now having with vaccines, how there is no second batch right now, that there are some genuine supply issues. So we have Universal blinking again with Boss Baby Family Business going from the end of March and moving it all the way out to the middle of September. But Disney is still hanging tough with Ray and the Last Dragon. It's still supposed to debut simultaneously on Disney Plus Premier Access and in theaters on March 5th. But you see, we finally get, we have an actual film description out there now. 
Yes, I did. I'm actually seeing some of the movie next week. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that or not. But yeah, they're doing a long lead presentation. So I'm there in the front row, Jim, asking my my, my questions. Okay, because that that plugs into I had heard that we're going to get the really for real trailer in the next week to 10 days. I hope so. There's toys already out at Target. So Are there really? Yeah. Ooh, time, okay. time is a ticking. So yeah, we gotta, we gotta, we need to see more of this movie, Jim. Did you see the piece in Variety four days ago that is now suggesting that Black Widow may go the Raya route with the Disney Plus premiere access and theatrical? No, but that makes sense. I mean, it was supposed to be in theaters on May seventh. I don't know if you saw this, Jim, but it looks like the James Bond movie has been bumped again oh. from April to November. Okay. And as you said, the vaccine is not being rolled out in a terribly efficient way. Mm-hmm. And um, that could cause some some trouble. I mean, if, if people aren't safe or don't feel safe, they're not going to go to the movies. So, Well, if we're all stuck at home, at least come February 14th, we, we can at least look forward to The Great North, which is another fun series from the folks who did Bob's Burgers. This one has actually been coming for a while. Yeah. Development was announced back in September 2018 and seemed to be going really well because, what was it, June of last year, they announced before one episode had even aired on the network that a second season was being put into production. That said, again, to sort of prime the pump for this debut on February uh, 14th, they actually ran a sample episode back on Sunday, January 3rd, it, it, after the NFL on Fox doubleheader. Yeah, did you watch it? I did not. It, it, what do we think? It's good. It's on Hulu right now. It's very oh. dry. It's very mm. funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, the animation, again, by Bento Box, um, yeah. looks great. I don't know if Dave had had any sort of design things. My understanding was that he was involved in at least the early shaping of the characters, that sort of thing. Uh, the creators of the Great North, Wendy and Liz Molyneux, they're the ones who actually just get hired by Marvel to do the screenplay for Deadpool 3, which Disney, by the way, has confirmed will be R-rated. It's been an interesting week for sister and brother teams in animation, because did you you see the news about uh, Big City Greens? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's renewed for a third season, and I, they have a overall, as they say, rich overall deal yeah. with Disney Channel and, and Disney Plus. Um, yeah, that, that Chris and Shane Houghton, they're supposed to develop new animated series, shorts, and movies for the Disney Channel and Disney Plus. So everybody's working for Disney Plus these days. There's new episodes tomorrow, Jim. There's a new episode tomorrow. Big oh, City Greens. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Then we'll so, have to check that out. Uh, you know, yeah. any, any news on when DuckTales is returning? Or Jim, I'm in the DuckTales <laughs> SHIT list right now. You know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that's right. That's a- <laughs> I, got, I, I got crucified for, amongst other things, not allowing the creators to reveal the uh end date of the series which is very weird because if i only relied on allowing other people to break stories then i would uh be a very bad journalist and if they'd been listening to this show jim they would have heard us talking about this for a year we we have i you know in fact i that's just not fair to do that to you because i mean a hard reality is 
anybody who's been paying attention on any form of social media, the number of people who actually worked in the show who have gone on to take other jobs and work on other shows over the past year. I mean, it's just, yeah. if you're on the Titanic and you look over the side and there's people getting in lifeboats, shouldn't you ask a question or two? It's like, right. Is there something yeah. Follow on? the IMDB people. You yeah, know, it's like, yeah, I mean. This story was hiding in plain sight. And in fact, you and I talked about this how many times? You know, yeah. about the fact that it was the, honestly one of the worst kept secrets in the industry. And the, the fact that they, they'd be punishing for you. That's just silly. Yeah. But you know what, Jim? I got to work out that block button, you know, very, <laughs> very liberally on Twitter. Oh, well, that's okay. That's okay. Okay. Well, anyway, when we get back from break here, folks, Drew and I will take a close look at the history of when Disney decided to release its, its various animated features. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Did you see this this news come through about Leica, the new head of development? I did see that. I am just happy Leica is developing things, Jim, because yes, as you know, yes. I am always, I I feel like I'm in this perpetual state of just fear and anxiety about what's happening with Leica because... Their movies don't really make any money, but they are amazing. And and you and I love them because they have this handcrafted uh, element that is totally missing elsewhere in animation. And so uh-huh. I, I want them to get in bed with Netflix or Apple or something just to ensure sort of the no, money no, no. pipeline coming through. You know what I mean? But no, no, absolutely. You know, and, and more to the point, a guaranteed way to get, you know, the wonderful films they make yeah. out there in front of audiences. I've been remiss. I have not. Watched Lupin the Third, you know, yes. the Part Four or whatever it's called, and I, I have not watched Disenchantment yet. But what I have been watching on YouTube is Rankin Bass stop motion specials from the '60s that, unlike Rudolph, you know, aired once and were never seen again. Oh my God! It's one of those things that makes you really appreciate Leica and their art form because. There are some terrible ones. Have you right. ever seen the Ballad of Smokey the Bear? No. It was their follow-up to Rudolph. This was how Rankin Bass followed the success of Rudolph. They did an hour-long special, The Ballad of Smokey the Bear, to promote the special. They got a 10-story tall Smokey the Bear balloon put in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. They got James Cagney to be the voice of, the, you know, the narrator and basically the brother bear, that Smokey's older brother. It's like 50 minutes of sheer torture. It is just, <laughs> I had no idea that Smokey actually got obsessed with stopping fires because he had post-traumatic stress and from a, a horrible experience that happened to him as a child. Wow. It's worth just sort of a drive-by if only for the the gorilla that escapes from the circus that begins polluting the rivers and smoking cigars. Trust me, you watch this sort of thing, and your immediate thought is, I need to send Leica money. 
because right. they need to make good stop motion movies. We we need to let them make keep making good stop motion movies. But I do have a soft spot in my heart for uh, Mad Monster Party, although I do know that it, I fully recognize that it is insanely annoying that it is a feature length, yeah, <laughs> essentially yeah. Halloween special. What is the Willie McBean and his amazing time machine? I mean, uh, seriously, there's a lot of these. Ben- and, and and they continued. There's one in the 1970s that they did with Danny Kaye, where it's the, the attempt to do an Easter special one. You know, where here comes Peter Cottontail and equally terrible. You watch these things and you get so much more of an appreciation for what Leica does. But Jim, it, it was pure animagic. That's how they describe it. So there we go. There we go. In there fact, go. that's half the fun of watching the opening credits for William McBean and his amazing machine. They do a, the animagic, but they do it like it's a 3D graphic for a 3D film. So it's you know it actually has a hinge in the middle. You know, just wow, like, animagic. William McBean too looks like a recycle of uh, Elf puppet from rudolph too i'm it's, sure it was it's there's a lot of that sort of stuff in fact and that's the thing when you look at Smokey, you know you can't help but get the sense that you reuse sets from william mcbain didn't you but anyway <laughs> all right enough of talking about terrible rank and bad specials okay we just talked about ray and the last dragon which again releases theaters on march 5th seems like a weird date but the thing is, when you mention it to folks at Disney, they immediately go, no, 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 Zootopia released to theaters on March 4th, four years ago, 2016. Went on to do a billion, $20 million in, in ticket sales worldwide. So it was like, you know, that's a great date. You know, that that and really, honestly, Disney is, was hoping when they selected that date that the lightning would strike twice. And, you know, obviously now with COVID and people afraid to go back to theaters, I, I don't know if that's happening. Yeah. But for the for the longest time, again, we were just talking about Thanksgiving weekend, and this was Disney's preferred safe harbor for its feature animation, meaning Bolt, back in November in, uh, 2008, debuted on the 21st, the Wednesday. Tangled uh, in 2010, I was on November 24th. Frozen, of course, uh, same thing. Thanksgiving weekend, Moana, Ralph Breaks the Internet, and uh, especially Frozen 2 back in 2019. Initially, when Disney was in this window, uh, they used to release movies the weekend before Thanksgiving. This is what happened with Oliver, Little Mermaid, and of course, you just wrote that wonderful story for Collider about Rescuers Down Under, and that was released to theaters back in November 16, 1990. I, I agree, Jim. It was wonderful. Yeah, it was a good story. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the thinking then was that if they put the theater out, movie out into theaters the weekend before, uh, word of mouth and strong reviews would then result in big ticket sales over the Thanksgiving weekend. Or it would just die before Thanksgiving even happened, which is what happened with Rescuers, right? That's, that is. That's still sad. But the fact that... Rescue is down under dies. Aren't they pulling advertising the Monday before Thanksgiving? Yeah, they pull. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I think by that, in the end of that weekend, all advertisements had been pulled. You have that sort of problem with the box office, but the very next year, Beauty and the Beast, uh, November 22nd. I mean, it's the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. It comes out and does huge business. Though you have to wonder, though. Remember when they showed it the New York film critics thing? They showed yes. them the work in progress. You suppose 
that had an impact on zeroing in on that release date or yeah i mean everybody had that sort of reaction you know the the stories of the standing ovation mm-hmm. um got out pretty quickly and i mm-hmm. think Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel reviewed it on their show, which I think at the time was owned by Disney. So I don't think yep. that was too mm-hmm. much of a coincidence. But mm-hmm. they, you know, they were talking about it as, as early as whenever that was, September or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I All mean, right. the other thing is that the later in November they opened, the mm-hmm. longer they played. I don't know if you remember this, Jim, but they those movies would would stay in theaters until you know March of the next year, no problem. Yeah. So, yeah, I wonder if that uh, thinking sort of went into it as well. It's interesting you bring that up because there were years when Disney would actually bring out animated features on Christmas Day. I mean, the original Sword and Stone, uh, December 25th, 63, Aristocats, Christmas Eve, 1970. We were just talking about Rescuers Down Under. The original Rescuers was the first Disney film in an uh, animated film in a generation that it opened in the summer. In fact, it opened June 22nd, 77. This is the summer that Star Wars is in theaters and is doing huge numbers. And, you know, Rescuers comes out after this. And it's just that if you talk with the folks at, at Disney, they rode the tide of Star Wars success that summer that families would go to the movie theaters to see Star Wars and the show would be sold out. And it's like, all right, what else you got? Oh, we have rescuers. And it's like, oh. So this turns out to be the basic success that Disney's had in 10 or 20 years in animation. Or you know the story from your article about how when Eisner walked in the door from Paramount, the whole notion of, okay, we need to make some hits going for Disney. So what's your best-selling live-action film? And, well, that's Mary Poppins. So, okay, let's do that. And what's your best-selling animated film? Well, that's The Rescuers from 77. So, okay, let's get a sequel going for that. But the live features that followed that, Fox and the Hound, Black Cauldron, Mouse Detective, were all released in July, again, with the hope that, all right, let's put it out during the summer and then we'll do big business. And then Disney circles back to this very same idea in the mid-90s, starting with, what, Lion King? But weren't you the one telling me that that was actually because they missed getting it into theaters in November of 93? Yeah, I think that was the original release date. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, and, and then it became the biggest movie ever, so mm-hmm. then they put everything in Yeah, in yeah, I mean, yeah, Pocahontas in, in summer of 95, Notre Dame, uh, Hunchback in 96, Hercules 97, and so on. Now it seems like the summer is Pixar's territory. Well, yeah, right? well, that was one of the concessions that was made, I think, on the heels of the success of Nemo, wasn't it, or... Yeah, and they also really. I remember back then it was a big thing that they could put the movie out in the th- in the summer and then sell the DVD in the in the fall. That's it exactly. That's it exactly. Uh, yeah, that that going into the holiday season. Yeah, but even Walt bought into this idea that there was an ideal time of year to release an animated feature. But back in his day, it was different. When they looked to put animated features out in theaters, it was actually right about now, and it dates back to the original Snow White. That premiered in Hollywood, uh, December 21st, 37. The following month, uh, the movie opens at Radio City in January of 38. And then finally, it goes into general release on February 4th, 1938. And that's when the tidal weight of money comes roaring toward Disney. And that's how he builds his state-of-the-art studio in Burbank. And that's how he funds his whole slate of, of films. And so 
when it comes it's time always to- fun to try to figure out when these movies actually opened <laughs> too jim you go through the thing and it's like wait why was this opening in five different months you know it'll it, it spans years that these things come out it's so it's such a pain in the to figure out when this stuff well, came out. And at the same time, also, there's the things like I just recently have come across the mention that at the same time that Snow White opened at Radio City Music Hall in New York, they opened at a theater down in Miami. This was supposedly a very deliberate decision on Walt's part because Max Fleischer had just opened a studio down there. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And just the thinking was that, hey, you know, guys who work for Max go to the movie theater, see what we're doing. And th- there was this joke at Fleischer Studio, uh, the, the Florida operation, because so many of the people would go to Fleischer, get trained, and then suddenly be in California working for Disney. There was a joke to the effect of Max had accidentally built the studio on top of an old stop for the Underground Railroad. The idea is the studio, you know, employees would walk in the front door and, you know, they'd find the tunnel. And when they came up on the other side, it was out in Burbank. (laughs) And actually, Richard Fleischer, his son, there's a great book that he wrote called Just Tell Me When to Cry. And it's, it's all about his career. But it talks about when Walt Disney hired him to direct the 54 live action version of 20,000 Leagues. And Richard was like, I'd love to take this job, Mr. Jesse, but you know who my dad is? And he said, yeah, absolutely. So I respect what you do and I watch you for the job. And so when they were on the lot shooting like the squid scenes and that sort of thing, there was one day when Max Fleischer came to Disney Studios in Burbank and Walt arranged for all of the employees who worked for Fleischer Studios, who were now Disney employees, to come down to the cafeteria and basically have an old home day and and hang with Max again. And Richard Fleischer in this book just talks about how all these people were so thrilled to see Max again, but it was like watching his dad in the Disney studio cafeteria sort of look around at all of the guys who used to work at him and look at what Walt Disney had achieved. And it just got this wistful expression, expression came over Max's face to the effect of, this is what it could have been. If I'd gotten the breaks, this is what I could have been. Right. But anyway, uh, getting back to to the release pattern here, that based on the success of, of how Snow White did when it went into general release, Pinocchio gets to release to theaters in February of 1940. Uh, likewise, Saludos Amigos in February of 43, and then Three Caballeros in February of 45. This continues uh, well into the 60s. Uh, Cinderella is released February 1950. Peter Pan is February 53. They do some tweaking of the formula in the late 50s, early 60s. Sleeping Beauty comes out on January 29th, 59. So it's almost February. 101 Dalmatians comes out January 25th, 61. And then I include Ugly Dachshund in this list at February 66 because Winnie the Pooh and the Honey Tree was on a double bill with that, and that turned out to be a, a huge IP and franchise for the thing. And and it turns out Walt deliberately picked this for the general release time for animated features because of February School Vacation, which, uh, by the way, evidently, you know, I was doing some research today, February School Vacation as a concept existed at least as far back as 1916. I, I found a, a Boston Globe article that actually talks about how February school vacation would be cut in half that year. 
because there had been an infantile paralysis epidemic that, you know, they had shut down the schools for and they needed to make up the time. So the traditional week off for school in, in February and April at least predates 1916. But Disney still today, the studio of today, still believes strongly in the long Thanksgiving weekend. Because what? Encanto is supposed to come out on November 24th of this year, barring COVID. And if you look ahead to the yet unnamed Walt Disney Animation Studio releases, we've got one that's coming out on November 23rd, 2022, and then November 22nd, 2023. So I guess to sort of bring things full circle here. So really, this week is the Rhea and the Last Dragon long lead. Yes. So okay. I don't know when I can actually talk about what I see or hear or whatever. Oh, no, no, but, I get that. I get that. But yeah, I mean, we're guaranteed. I mean, the movie is coming out soon. So, mm. you know, it, this is not much of a long lead, all things considered. This is the description that just came out of Disney Studios in, in the past week or so. It's like, Long ago, in the fantasy world of Kamandra, uh, humans and dragons lived together in harmony. But when sinister monsters known as the Droon threaten the land, the dragons sacrifice themselves to save humanity. Now, 500 years later, these same monsters have returned, and it's up to a lone warrior, Rhea, to track down the last dragon in order to stop the Droon for good. However, along her journey, Rhea will learn it'll take more than dragon magic to save the world. It's going to take trust as well. So I really didn't (laughs) get that from the teaser. No. Hmm. There's no mention of the dragon being a human, Mm -hmm. which was a big part of the D23 presentation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I also think they've softened the look of the dragon since D23. It was sort of a, you remember that it, it was sort of a, weird snake-like dragon, Mm -hmm. and I think that that she's kind of been made a little more cute, Mm -hmm. again, for all those toys. Well, now, and now, I have to go to Target tomorrow to to, to find these Rhea toys, so. Okay, well, while I'm in the car, I always like to listen to to other podcasts, and one that I particularly enjoy is is Light the Fuse, though, uh, you know, have we officially started on Light the Wick yet, or? Uh, I think it's looking like at the end of the month. Charles is having another baby, so he's going to go off and have his baby, and we're going to, you know, focus on John Wick. It'll be a it'll be a life and death gem all, all rolled into one. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> so yeah, that we're starting that at the end of the month. We've still got a lot of great Light the Fuse episodes and a lot of great stuff lined up. So um, mm-hmm. I hope you enjoy and are, are still listening because uh, um, no, yeah, it's, it's all good solid stuff. And if you have not listened to the light diffused you know podcast which again obviously celebrates the mission impossible film franchise and to a lesser extent the, the original television series but what i love about this show is you bring on the, the get the amazing crew of professionals who work behind the scenes in this thing and of course they all have stories about all of the other films they worked on so it's yes it's it's honestly this postgraduate class in hollywood gossip i mean it just you know there are <laughs> So many great stories that come out of it. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of a little, you know, and what I like about it, too, is that we are talking to every kind of strata of mm-hmm. um, professionals. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get to hear from different departments and different department heads that you maybe wouldn't hear otherwise or on a different podcast. So we love that. We love anybody who has a weird job and worked on one of these movies. We love to hear it. So, yeah, it's a lot of fun. 
Can't wait. Can't wait. Okay. We also have a few podcasts over here at the Jimmy really? Podcast Network. What do we, We've got Disney Eaters with Lentesta, which <laughs> I would imagine we're going to really get into the Disneyland annual pass holder thing. And by the way, how, how do we feel about that? You and Katie have annual passes. I'm going to miss it, Jim. I'm going to miss it. It mm. sucks. It really sucks. I hate it. But... Mm. But I hope that there will be some good stuff that comes out of it because you and I both know that there were just way, way, way too many people that were at the park. And I Mm -hmm. feel horrible for people who saved up for a year to come and maybe it's their only chance they're at, you know, Disney World or or Disney, I mean, Disneyland and and it's ruined because there's a bunch of jackets just kind of hanging out. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I hope that there's some good stuff from it and i can't wait to see what the replacement is as they've promised so membership program so yeah we'll have to wait and see what that is but in addition to disney-ish we also have marvelous disney we got a universal joint we have looking at lucasfilm likewise i'm going to be doing a brand new i want that with michelle valladolid which (gasps) deals with merch which I think it's probably going to touch on uh, Ray and the Last Dragon toys. Anyway, folks, tell you what, if you could do Drew and I a favor, if you get head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review not only Light the Fuse, Light the Wick, but also the show you're listening to now, Fine Tuning. If you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be helpful. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram. It's at just plain old Jim Hill Media and on Facebook at Jim Hill Media News. And thanks for listening, and we will be back soon.